Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm Scott Lease here with my good friend and co-host Richard Harris. And today we are joined by Tiffany Muckleroy, my uh, Austin neighbor, so to speak. And she is an account executive with Center Technologies and previously spent time with SHI. And we're looking forward to uh, chatting with you today. Tiffany, thanks for being on the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Scott and Richard. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to get going. We want to thank lead411.com and gong.io, our two lovely sponsors who've been here with us all month and help us produce so many of these shows. So check out Gong and, and Lead411. So Tiffany, tell us a little bit about your current role. What, what are you selling and what's the sales cycle like and what's the price point and all that kind of stuff so we have some background. Sure. So I am at a local managed service provider out here in Austin called Centered Technologies, um, really getting on the map here in Austin, so to speak. So they are based in Houston, Texas. Um, and, you know, in a nutshell, our goal is to be the Whataburger of, you know, the Southern region for managed service providers. Um, we offer services all the way from the basic managed service provider services to 24 by seven helped us support. Um, we have our own hosted system. We also offer cloud migration services, day-to-day um, -day type procurement services, um, what else? Consulting, pretty much everything under the gun. Think of us as your normal kind of bar setup, but more of that local touch where we're able to do a little bit more of start to finish whenever it comes to being the consultant for you and kind of coming up with that IT blueprint. So not just selling you the hardware and kind of going with a partner to perform the implementation. Um, we actually handle everything for you. So we really run the gamut. It's hard to just say one thing, but are you, are you doing end to end sales? Yes. End to end. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. And what's the, what's the price? What's like your average deal size and sales cycle length and stuff? Oh like my that? goodness. It runs honestly, the whole gamut, that's one big difference I've learned in this transition, because um, we do things such as time and material. So sometimes it's based on how long do you actually need us. Um, we do project only services. So that can range, you know, from as low as, you know, a couple thousand, if that all the way up to how big your project is and how much, you know, hardware, software, any implementation that's involved. So that's kind of where we're able to come in and tailor it. So our price point is hard to say exactly where we're at because if you just want a laptop from me and for me to deploy that, that's only, you know, this might be a thousand dollars for you, but you need me to come in for a whole project, then it can be a totally different type of price point for you. So what I, want, I want to dive into this, right? Cause I used yeah. to run a direct <laughs> team and a channel team. And I don't know if Scott, I don't think you've ever done channel sales or had to, correct? I did at Qualia. You did? Okay. Yeah. So, and, and you worked at a, at a huge, I mean, distributor slash reseller of SHI, right? Mm -hmm. So help people understand, because I don't, we haven't talked a lot about channel here. Okay. What's it like to be that kind of rep, right? Are you only repping one product? Are you repping multiple products and services? Mm -hmm. Like, and, and as a salesperson, how do you, get all of your knowledge around that stuff, right? Because I, I know, like I've done it, mm -hmm. but I want people to hear it from your perspective. Sure, so being in the channel, it is, it is a unique perspective because we aren't just representing one product. 
So for some customers, Dell may be the solution, but other customers, HP or HPE may be the solution. And we have to kind of come in and really be a consultant for the customer to figure out what is the best fit for them. Do they have a preference? And then even if, if they don't have a preference, because that's often the case, they're like, you tell me what's best. We have to come in and really see where they're at and try and fit in where we think the best product is for them and wherever part of the journey they're on, wherever it comes to IT and how IT helps them generate revenue. Um, I want to pause right there. So let's say you're going in, because I'm going to keep it simple, because I know it gets yeah. more complex, right? But you've got HP, you've got Dell, um, you've right. got Lenovo, right? And they all want in on these deals, right? Right. Here's here's Tiffany, and she's got a client who needs a thousand laptops, mm-hmm. right? And those guys are all going to be just hammering your door. How do I close this deal? How do I do this deal? Right. One what's that feel like as the sales rep? It's almost like you're a recruiter to some extent. Yeah. And, and then on the other hand, how do you learn so much about the different tool? Mm-hmm. Because like El Lenovo's got six different laptops and Dell's got 12 and you know, like how do you navigate that just at a, at, at a basic level? Sure. Basic. I kind of look at it from a good, better, best standpoint, as far as, you know, where the customer wants to be price point wise. And then also, What are their main focuses? Because if a customer comes to me and they're like, oh, I want all Apple, but they don't really need the complexity of an Apple laptop, I might be like, hey, for your price point in this, maybe an HP or a Dell is a better option for you. We can get, you know, what exactly are you looking for? And from there, I try and, I don't like to pit partners against each other. You know, I I am very transparent in the process. Once I figure out what the customer needs, I will be transparent and say, hey, you know, we're going to lead with this solution this time. You know, feel free to possibly explore other partners who might be able to bring you to the table because at the end of the day we have to kind of remove the noise for the customer and help them make the best decision for them so it may not be what makes us the most money but it is what's best for the customer so you know it really just depended on the scenario you know coming from shi even to here you know that scenario happens quite frequently and so it really it's just you know in us consulting with the customer and giving our honest opinion on which way they should go and seeing if that's what they want to pursue. Are you enjoying being an account executive after spending time in management at SHI? I am. It's really, it's a totally different experience as I'm sure you know, going from leading a team of 12 to 15 reps to being a team of one. (laughs) So what, so what was the impetus for, for that decision? You know, I think, I think a lot of people right now, at least that I'm encountering, are making similar decisions, actually. They're, right. they're moving away from managerial, frontline mm-hmm. management roles and, and going and being an individual contributor again. I'm curious what drove that decision for you and if it's similar to reasons I've heard from other people. Sure. There were a couple of factors. Um, first and foremost, it was really just a little bit more flexibility at this time point in time in my life. Um, but also kind of getting back to being responsible to my output and my income and getting a chance at actually quote unquote carrying the bag, right? As an AE, I really want to diversify my resume a little bit more. Ever since moving into IT, I was an inside sales rep, moved into leadership. And now I wanted to get into the field, made this decision before COVID really started running rampant. So well, you going made into the field. Be- made the decision before all this started. <laughs> So starting okay. trying to get into an account executive role, um, maybe I would say I've been thinking about it for a while, but really started exploring it around that 
early COVID timeframe before we were shutting down. So it's definitely changed the way that I've had to approach it because another thing was I really wanted to get out there and get face to face with customers. I missed the interaction. I love talking with people face to face. I'm, you know, besides being behind the phone, I love that interaction that we can have. And also feel like it's just a more transparent dialogue when you're sitting face to face with a customer. Yeah. You're on mute, Richard. Come on. Yeah. No, I'm it's been a while since I've done that, Scott. I just wanted to tease you. Um, I want to pull out of this conversation a little bit because uh, there's something we talked about this offline before we started is that you were a teacher. You were a math yeah. teacher for eighth yeah. grade, right? Ninth grade and 12th grade. So freshmen and, and seniors. Did, how long did you do that? I worked that probably about a year and a half, two years, but I was in education off and on for quite some time. And I was actually pursuing my master's in education at the time. So first and foremost, um, I've had great experience hiring former teachers, right? Like there's just the patience, mm -hmm. the ability to explain, the ability to lead a person to find the solution on their own, right? Which is what you're doing <laughs> with kids. Like, you know, mm -hmm. before you just, oh, here's their formula. How do you feel like teaching helped you in be strong in sales? And then also, how did you make that transition? Because those two worlds do not necessarily <laughs> I mean, they might collide on the buying side in the mm -hmm. school, but I would just love to hear your background on that a little. Sure. So teaching has a lot of transferable skills, like you mentioned, definitely being patient, but also I think that curiosity that we have as teachers really trying to get down to the whys behind things happen. I think that's a very important skill to have in sales because if you don't know why or the reason or the motivation behind a customer's decision, you can really kind of miss them and what their needs actually are. And then it also translates to leadership. I also helped coach with basketball. So kind of those coaching skills, marry those two together and leading a sales team, they go pretty hand in hand because you're not only helping develop newer sales reps, but you're helping them learn to ask the leading questions and kind of dive into what it truly means to be a curious sales rep and how to attain goals and set goals for yourself, but also how to reach different types of sellers because not every seller is not the same. So when I was in leadership, I had to take what I learned as a teacher and addressing different learning levels to sales reps. How does the sales rep go out and sell? When are they their best at selling versus someone else who may be completely different? And then couple that with all the technology I'm tasked with teaching you all to go out and sell. You know, you really have to have that skill to be able to put something together that's digestible and you know tangible for some and easy to deliver to a customer. I want, I want the transition. To... What made you go? All right, I'm done with teaching. I'm going to go. You know, try the selling thing. That I mean, to be completely honest, the hours and only teaching for a state test um, in Texas. There is a huge emphasis on the state test, um, especially with math. And I was at a school where there was an even heavier in emphasis because I was at an inner city school. And math is already hard enough to make interesting for high schoolers. So imagine only teaching to a test per se. It really does kind of take out some of that cre creativity that we used to be able to have to now we're teaching you how to answer questions and basically ace a test so, you know, the school can have the ratings that it needs. And that's just how I felt candidly. Not saying that's how all teachers are or feel, but you know, it was just I 
it burned it burnt me out a little quickly. And my husband was actually working at Dell at the time with the channel sales. So um, he introduced me to a few people, started networking, and that's how I ended up at SHI and getting my start in sales. There's a lot of people in the last few years who've made the transition from mm -hmm. teaching and being an educator and moving into sales. When you go through the onboarding process, mm -hmm. are you able to analyze like the materials and everything that they give you and be like, mm -hmm. This is a terrible training program. This is a terrible <laughs> course because of the background that you have in, in building out, you know, schoolwork and, and, and things like that. Um, and when you're a manager, did you apply some of your teaching coursework principles mm -hmm. to how you train folks? Definitely. 100%. Um, we had what was called a sales academy at SHI for newer reps. So when we transitioned to leadership, we kind of go in there and, we're in an academy as a leader, but also training new reps coming in. So I was able to take a lot of those skills and apply it there in a setting to, you know, helping reps develop and not necessarily saying this was bad, but just really working with our learning and development team and implementing new ways to teach and show them, hey, you know, this is great formatting now, but this only reaches one type of learner. This part, you know, we may have one person who does do well with just a visual PowerPoint, but there are going to be maybe five others who need to actually be doing the process as soon as they see it in order for it to be to stick and to retain. Um, and that's a piece that's often missing, I feel like, in sales trainings is, you know, you, you have all this content, we'll push it out, but then we forget about some of the learners who may be more, I need to read, see, touch, feel, and, you know, not just look and then now I can go off to the races. So it really helped me even now as I work with customers and work in my new AE role, I'm able to really go in and be like, okay, you know, this addresses this part of me, but for this particular thing, for instance, with cold calling, I need to kind of hear someone pitch center and then now I'm going to go try it and do my cold calls and do it. Um, so there's just a lot of little different nuggets that you can pull from teaching and bring it into sales. How, has your sales style changed and evolved at all in the last six to 12 months? Yeah, you're nodding your head. It has. I mean, I came from an inside sales background and I managed a team of inside sellers. But I will say right now, even just with technology in general, with the push to the cloud, with all the changes that are happening with less on-prem, you know, hardware that we're seeing in our customer environments, it's you know, it's making us stay on our toes and it's making me stay abreast to what type of industries are leaning towards which type of technology, but also, you know, what type, what outreach is working for customers. They're not necessarily in the office anymore for me to drive by and say hello and, you know, reach them quickly with the drop off. I might have to, you know, put in 10 calls to them just to reach them either in the office or at home while they're trying to do learning with their kid. And so maybe they don't have the attention right now to give me and it. It's just what, been a whole different selling environment. Yeah, what, what's, what's working for you right now, other than cold calls? Is there particular channels that, that are working? And have you become a big fan of, of one over the other? You know, cold calling is not dead anymore. I personally feel like, I mean, it is taking a few more dials than it did four or five years ago. Um, email outreaches, but also LinkedIn and social selling. I'm learning more and more every day about leveraging social selling and how to tailor messaging to when you're reaching out to potential contacts on LinkedIn and trying to also reach them that way because people are spending more time on social media right now. 
And, you know, some people are still in the office, so doing a drop-off, they'll still get notified if I leave something at their front desk or if I actually send them something in snail mail, that still works too. So really just trying to hit it from all different angles to really grab the attention and be consistent there. What surprised you the most moving from an educational role to, to mm -hmm. selling, whether it was an easy transition or something tougher? Honestly, the I would say it was an easier transition transition than I ever thought. I always said, you know, I would I was never tech savvy per se. I wasn't into the newest and latest and greatest in technology. That wasn't really my thing. So I was skeptical at first about making that transition, but um, it actually being the teacher and being used to education worked in my favor because I was constantly just reading up on things and trying to learn and stay relevant. Um, but then also the work ethic, you get used to working a lot of extra hours as a teacher that go unpaid. So it kind of came naturally to continue the grind as a salesperson, but the difference was you're getting paid for the more effort you put in. <laughs> a little bit better reward at the end of the time. Yeah, right? exactly. Not to say that helping children isn't a good reward, but it's oh, yes, no. certainly an underpaid profession. Um, <laughs> so aside from your husband doing it, like, like as a kid, what were, were you competitive you mentioned something about basketball so did you play mm -hmm. sports growing up were you yes. a competitive girl like what were you what were you like growing up sure i was very competitive all the time played sports uh played basketball year-round um aau basketball i ran track ran summer track was very into all of that growing up even in college didn't play like for the actual team but i would still play intramurals and that competitive nature really never left um, my husband played some professional football, so was still into sports, even post graduation and everything. So, you know, the competitive piece really, you know, it's my motivation for sure. <laughs> what, where, do you guys have kids yet? Yes. How, how old are your kids? Seven and five. Seven and five. Okay. So are they, are they picking up on the competitive juices? Yeah, they play sports. We let them choose kind of what they want to do. My five-year-old's still a little young, so he's just into everything. My seven-year-old, he's more into, um, he's a little bit more vocal about what sports he wants to play. So we just, we support them. We try not to get too involved because you want to be that, you don't want to be that parent. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's fun to watch them. And I do find myself getting more caught up in a game than I thought I would be for a seven-year-old. Well, you, you can talk to Scott because he's almost that parent, not entirely. <laughs> he's not the jerk one. He's not the jerk parent, that's for sure. We have to sign contracts now. We can't be those parents. No. Oh, I still have people ignoring that contract for my kids' teams. Yeah. So. Um, how, are you, how are you juggling um, parenting while selling? <laughs> I mean, I know, I know all of us on some level are doing the best we can, but, mm -hmm. you know, is there, what's working for you that you could maybe share with, with others and maybe shit, even Richard and I could try it, try it out because God knows we're all at times suffering together. Yeah. I mean, honestly, we are, I mean, this may get some frowns it may not, but my kids are in person right now. Um, they attend a small private school. So even before COVID, their classroom size was less than 10 kids per class. Mm. So they kept that small classroom size and it's worked right now. Um, so we've kind of lucked out, I guess, in that regard. Um, yeah, but before, different situation than some of us, yeah. Yeah, but before that, like while they were home for those months in months, um, it, was, it was 
different. My kids got a lot more screen time than ever before. So, and I'm not ashamed of that because yeah. I had to code please, how I could. Can you, can you crack that code of screen time? Please yeah. let us know. Like it's oh, there terrible. isn't one anymore right now. I think it's just maintain your sanity at this point. Um, do what you can. Um, but I do have friends who are still homeschooling, and yeah, it's it's real. It's it's hard. What okay. um, you know, what are some of the other challenges you faced in sales in general? Like, you know, sure. What what have you ever experienced that maybe you want to share? Yeah, so I know, um, so one of the reasons why I wanted to do this was just, you know, really speaking about kind of being the minority in sales or especially IT sales. Um, coming into sales, I was coming from an inner city school where there are a lot of black and brown colleagues around me and students around me to an industry where we were not really present. Um, at SHI was actually the first African-American woman sales leader in the Austin office that they'd ever had. And so, out of, you know- Out of how many? Countless. There are plenty like of leaders. 10, 100? No, for a woman, I was the first. And SHI had been around for, you know, for a while. I would, in the, I should say in the Austin office. In the so Austin, Austin yeah. probably started 2005 or six. I can't remember when the Austin office started. Um, but, you know, that was really an eye-opener when I got into leadership, that that was a true stat that in 20, you know, 17, or eight, whenever that was, that I was the first African-American woman to become a sales leader in that, that location. Um, and it just kind of showed where we were in the IT industry. We're not, I, women are already kind of a minority in the IT industry, but then tackle on top of that being a black woman in the IT industry. It, it's a different type of scenario and it presents its own challenges that are very different in general. Are the, are the, cha are the challenges that you face internally mm -hmm. more difficult than the challenges you face externally? Probably so, because, you know, over the phone or, you know, virtually customers just, they want their computers and they want someone who can handle it and take care of their needs. But internally, there are some things where just even getting into the industry, even before SHI, let's say I was going through the interview process, I literally was told no to a role because they said I wasn't professional in my present, like I didn't show up to my interview professionally. Mind you, I was in a business suit. The only thing that quote unquote wasn't professional, they said was my hair, because I wear my hair like this a lot. Um, and so at that day, you know, at that time period, that wasn't the first time that because of my hair or like wearing a natural look that I was overlooked for roles because, you know, had to fit the what they were looking for I guess you could say and honestly after that experience when I was interviewing before SHI I straightened my hair and never wore it curly to another interview until I was hired because I was like I don't want that to be something that detracts from my resume and what I can bring to the table something as simple as my natural hair shouldn't be a detractor but it was at that time so I didn't even want to risk that anymore um but yeah, I take that you, into a leadership role. It, it presented some interesting things, to say the least. You know, first of all, sorry, but I mean, it's just ridiculous in the first place. Were you able to, once you once you did break through that glass ceiling, mm -hmm. were you able to have internal conversations and say, hey, everybody, you guys, you know, this is what you said, and this is what it means, and it's really irrelevant, like, to the job school. Were you able to... 
look, you know, I know, I know how big SHI is, like it's tens of thousands of employees, right? But were you at least able to feel like you could make a change or did you still feel like you couldn't say anything? Uh, so that interview experience actually wasn't with SHI, but once oh, I God, was, sorry. yeah, sorry, okay. that was prior to the SHI interview. Um, once at SHI, um, there were things that I advocated for. For instance, I was able to work, I worked with a different colleague over there, but we started, um, we were able to host the first annual Black History Month event at SHI. Um, and so we hosted that one and we hosted a second one actually this year in 2020 before I left. But those are the first two specifically, specific events around celebrating any sort of heritage or month that was being celebrated. And it was able to spawn, you know, they went on to present, you know, uh, Latina Mexican Heritage Month, they went on the Asian Pacific Month, and it kind of brought about that sort of change where we were able to start meeting and having conversations to where people felt comfortable speaking up about representation of minorities with at SHI, whether it be from some treatment that might not have been the best <laughs> to, you know, what can we do to really promote change? And so it really, it helped me get on the forefront of that. That's always a risk that you know, kind of when you're at the forefront of that, you do kind of take on the risk to put a tar I wouldn't say a target on your back, but it was definitely, a, it was scary for me to step out on that because I'm like, what if this isn't received the right way by me speaking up and bringing these, bringing attention to these things that are going on and that we're not actually celebrating the diverse culture that we are. Wait, and, and was this just at the local office or were you able to get this throughout the company? So this was at our local Austin office, but what we were able to do, for instance, was distribute something corporate wide so that touched all of our offices that would recognize different individuals month over month throughout those different months. So whether it was a black colleague during Black History Month or the other months, we were able to send something um, to everyone. And then, you know, in the virtual setting, we were trying to start making it to where we could get more people involved and have people join. Um, that was definitely the goal before I left, but unfortunately wasn't able to see that one all the way through. Um, but yeah, that's definitely the goal, was the goal. And even now as I start here in my new role, definitely having those conversations, especially in this current climate, I think it's something we can't just continue to ignore and sweep under the rug. We have to have these conversations because, you know, they're something that I'm facing every day and internally before I come into the office. And that's something that I need people around me to know that, you know, what's going on in the outside world does have an effect on me when I come into work every day. Yeah, I, that's I a, that's the second, but hold on. I do want to say one hmm? thing. This is a company with 5,000 employees, you know, and how soon after you started there, did, did you make this occur? Two years? Yes. I went from a rep to, I was a rep for about two and a half years and then moved over to leadership after that. So I just want people to understand that like, just because you work for a big company doesn't mean you can't do something right and right you can't your voice i mean you just have to keep on talking until someone's ready to listen yeah and i and you know and i i will only i'll make a major assumption so push back on me that you know as an african-american woman doing that and if you want to try and grow your career in a company that can feel very intimidating it was it was definitely was yeah so so kudos to you to do that and and i hope people listening are are will We'll take this to heart and understand that you know it does need to be done and, and brought up. 
For sure. Because, I mean, even at their executive leadership rankings, you know, we have to bring to the attention of once we get past even manager roles, once we get up to directors and VPs, what does that look like? If it's all, no offense, white males, then what are we doing? How are we not only diversifying who you're onboarding, but <clears throat> when you start reaching out to certain customers, we're not going to, we're going to always be talking to the same type of customer if we don't have a diverse group of people reaching out to people, because we're going to be siloed into a certain thought process, siloed into who we, who certain people network with, and you're going to miss out on potential, to me, I always, you know, have to relate it back to the bottom line, you're going to miss out on potential revenue because you don't have a diverse group of people who might know about other businesses that may not be on your radar, because that's just not where you're involved or people, your network just may not have that reach, you know? Um, so it's a lot of things there where I feel like we can really be missing out by not incorporating a more diverse executive leadership team or C-levels and whatnot at companies. You know, what, one thing I feel like we at least, Richard and I have talked a good um, mm-hmm. amount about it is like the challenges and kind of being black or minority and and working your way up the ladder one thing we haven't talked much about is how hard it is once you're there (laughs) yeah so what are some of the unique challenges and experiences being a, a female black sales leader in an organization and managing you know 10 to 12 people who mm-hmm. you know are probably the majority are white men mm-hmm. right just 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 be real um what is that dynamic like that's got to be a whole different set of challenges and i don't know how you get prepared for that mm-hmm. i mean where do you go get advice for that mm-hmm. that kind of thing if the representation is not is not there so how do you how did you deal with that sure i mean it's different it definitely presents some intimidating moments not even just for people who report to you but when you report to others um you know trying to overcome biases that people may have about you where for instance if you're voicing an opinion trying not to come across as a quote-unquote angry black woman hate to say it but you know just trying to voice an opinion to where no one takes it the wrong way or trying to make sure you say it exactly perfect as to not come across other than anyone who is simply trying to voice an opinion or um, voice maybe something that could actually help or do things. And honestly, we've been practicing probably our whole lives because I've always been probably one of the only black kids in class when I grew up. I went to a predominantly white university, so still wasn't a ton of people who look like me in my class unless I was in an African-American studies class or something that had to do along that lines. Other than that, it was just me and maybe a couple of others in a classroom full of hundreds of kids. We were, you know, at UT, at the time I was there, we were less than 4% of the entire student population. And now they might be slightly over 4%. And that included graduate schools and, you know, post undergrad. So we are used to being the only ones in a scenario whenever you come from that type of setting, but also learning how to communicate and talk in a way someone else will understand you and not take it the wrong way. And sometimes it was just inevitable. There are the times where you feel like, you know, because I'm who I am, you know, I might be getting looked over because the white male is he or someone else 
is better fit, quote unquote, for that position because they fit the mold of what they're looking for. And there's also that, well, you're in leadership now. We've kind of done what we needed to do. We have someone in leadership. Yeah, but like, again, we checked, like we checked the box. We now, checked I don't, the box. now I don't need to mm-hmm. groom you or mentor you as much kind of thing. And that's always in the back of my mind. Like, is that the only, is that why I feel like I kind of reached the ceiling? I really don't know. I can't speak on that. And I don't want to speak, you know, ill on SHI and the experiences they offer me or anything. But that's always in the back of your mind whenever you go somewhere. It's like, okay, now that they've checked the box, let's move on. And that's not where I want to, I want to be somewhere that's accepting of me and all of who I am, how I am as a seller and accepts the potential that I have as far as growing and getting into an executive leadership role, if that's where I went to pursue. What do you, what advice do you give to people who feel that, who have that in the back of their mind, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe even a better question is, how do you know when you found a place that's (laughs) open and accepting? Sure. I mean, I can take center, for instance, I came to this interview with braids and my nose ring and was, I did not straighten my hair or do anything different. I just came as I was as myself. And, you know, immediately when I walked into my interview with my CEO, I could tell like, it was just a totally different feeling when I walked into where I knew that if they offered me the role, I would, I would accept it because I could just tell in our dialogue and our conversations, he was genuinely curious in what I had to say and so, yeah, what I've so, done with my sales team. What were those in, in sales speak? What were they, what were their buying signals that you said, oh, they're asking me this. So I know they're really interested. I mean, just the, he, he was really good about painting a scenario. Like, how would you, how would you approach this? Or when your sales team was underperforming, how did you get them to an overperforming sales team? Like, I'm genuinely want to know what you did and how you attacked it and walk me through that. Oh, okay. You know, him just asking me questions and it really just turned into less of an interview, in my opinion, to more of a conversation to where, you know, I could tell like, okay, this person is accepting of me because I was nervous. I was like, I'm in my braids. (laughs) I I mean, nose ring is not a huge deal, but my main thing was like, I'm wearing braids. I'm wearing a natural hairstyle right now for an interview and I've never done this before. Um, So it's just a really good experience. And then on top of that, like we have a black VP of sales at this company. So I've never, I didn't experience that at all prior to now. And so just knowing that they will, they don't care. They're just like, whoever is best for the job, who's going to get the job done and who is best for the job, which is where I want to be. If I'm the best person for the job, then I wouldn't know I'll be recognized for that. So compare that to the checklist interview, Mm -hmm. right? What kinds of questions are they asking or not asking in that world? In a checklist interview? Yeah. Sure. I mean, I've done the checklist interview myself when interviewing candidates. It's more like, okay, tell me about what would you do with your first paycheck? How would you approach this customer? He tells you no. You know, what do you say? Give me a 30 second elevator pitch about what you know about XYZ company. You know, just kind of those rate them on a one to 10. Did they answer it the right way versus, you know, tell me about your life, what you've gone through. Why do you want to work? Why do you want this role? What what would you do with this, you know, coming in with however much experience you have? I feel like interviews that are more conversations are the ones that go well and they go better because you get to truly know the candidate in that short amount of time. Because anyone can... <laughs> go ahead. Sorry, Tiffany, I'm just laughing. Richard, has anybody ever asked you in an interview what you're going to do with your first paycheck? 
No, I don't think so. I've no, never, I've never got that one either. Really? Yeah. That's, no, that's, that's bizarre. I don't even know how to respond. I have to just go say, you know what? I'm going to go spend it on blow and hookers. I don't know. (laughs) If I were interviewing today, that would be my favorite question to answer. (laughs) The same thing that everybody else spends their uh, paycheck on. Exactly, right? Right? I got family. I got uh, bills. I got mortgage. Same thing you're spending money on. You know what I mean? So so, so Tiffany... um, As, as you've grown into this, uh, a sales leadership role, and then, you know, I think the micro communities have really come out a lot, particularly because mm-hmm. of COVID. Uh, are there places you go as a black woman to look for support in sales? Are there communities you are a part of um, where this topic even comes up? And, and if not, that's okay. But I'm curious, so if people are listening and they want to know where to go, you know, do you have such a place? Goodness. There are so many, um, you know, honestly, I'm in, a, I try and find sales leaders who are, like I said, I've gotten into more into social selling. So people, I started following people such as, um, you know, Kevin Dorsey or someone else I started following was, um, oh my goodness. Now I feel terrible. Cause I just Galem, do you follow Galem? I don't. Oh, Morgan Ingram, follow him. So starting to really find, some people in the sales game who are minorities and whatnot trying to, but also just women in leadership too. I feel like we have a lot of commonalities with, um, even if you just are a woman in IT, not necessarily minority, we still, you know, you're breaking barriers once you become into that leadership role. But, you know, outside of that, I just started following a lot of people who also are not afraid to post things on LinkedIn about calling out companies with C-levels who, say they're putting there the thing right now is people are putting out their statements about we support we're diverse and then when you dig into their leadership team it does not dictate as such and then they're going out and hiring that chief diversity officer so they can quote unquote check that box so following the people who are challenging them and just really learning from them and what they're doing to continue to have their voice heard and how can I implement that into my daily life? What, what can I do to bring diversity to the forefront where I'm at? What are you, what are you learning from them? Again, just sharing it back out, right? Rather than yeah. just sort of that high level buzzword. What are some things you've learned from them? Or in some cases, maybe it's just confirming something you've already known. It's honestly confirming because there were times where I would be like, you know, maybe it is me, but then I realized, no, I was me. There was some gaslighting going on. It wasn't just things in my head that I was coming up with that someone did treat me differently because of the color of my skin. There were times I was like, oh no, maybe not. But now I'm like, no, they, whenever I brought that up, whoever told me, no, they were just gaslighting me. This was, you know, an actual overt act of discriminating against me because I was a black woman and they did not want to hear what I had to say or, you know, they did overlook me because I wasn't my white counterpart. Um, So just having the confidence to be able to speak up, I'm not experiencing that currently, but if I did, just not being afraid to speak up anymore. And I also have a group of close friends as well who are doing the same things at their companies. They're in leadership now. Um, I have one friend who recently got published in the, what's the big magazine for PR? PR Weekly about calling out different customers clients or not even their clients, but just calling out different companies around their, you know, diversity engagement practices or onboarding practices. So 
now is not the time to keep silent. You might lose one or two people here or there, but just not being afraid to do that. Um, even coming on here today, not being afraid to come on here and talk about this sort of topic for people who may hear that I might be prospecting into tomorrow that may not agree with my conversation, just not being afraid to just have your voice heard and really speak out for what you know is right. I know this sounds very cliche, but even people I'm still mentoring because you know I picked up a group of folks that I was mentoring back at my last job who were black and wanted help with navigating being black in IT and just still outreaching to them and keeping them motivated and talking to them about having, you know, speak up for yourself. Don't be afraid to speak up for yourself. We can't continue to be walking around on eggshells because we're afraid we're going to get fired for speaking up for something that shouldn't be happening. Super solid. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So we kind of have to get to the, to the wrap up and, yeah, you know, yeah. we always sort of end the show of, you know, what question do you have for us? Do you have any advice you want to ask for us from us? Excuse me. Um, anything we can help you with? I'll keep it simple. I mean, you know, there are a lot of us out there making career transitions during COVID. And, you know, I listen to y'all's podcasts all the time, but what would you say to someone who maybe they're on the fence about switching careers right now, especially in sales, since we depend on commissions and whatnot? Um, what advice would you give around that? <laughs> yeah, I think that I, I, so much depends on the context of each person's situation and their, their financial situation and background and how much time they have in their hands and things like that. But um, if, if somebody's situation enabled it, it feels like now is a really good time to make a big pivot and a big, and a big shift, right? There is like a huge reckoning or level setting happening right now. Um, so if you can, I, I think there's never been a better time to, to get into sales and learn the, the game of sales, basically. Mm -hmm. There are so many active micro communities and macro communities from LinkedIn to Thursday Night Sales to Revenue, Rev Genius, Revenue mm -hmm. Collective, Sales Hacker, on and on and on. Sisters in Sales is, is it one that our friend Nikki Ivey talks about all the time. Um, and so because of that, the sense of community, I think, has got to be making the barrier to entry in sales smaller and easier. None of that shit existed when Richard and I got into sales, for example. <laughs> right? There, there was no place online we could go mm -hmm. and just have a happy hour with 300 other salespeople. Yeah. Okay? That, that, that didn't happen. Um, so if you, if you have the time and energy to pour into those things, I think now is the right time to go for it. In terms of what to look for, I do think you need to be a little bit selective if you can and make mm -hmm. sure you're picking an industry that has an eye towards the future and, and right. is something that is a sellable product right now, right? Um, I feel for people who've been in the travel industry, for example. Mm -hmm that industry has gotten hammered and I have no idea when it's going to come back. Doesn't seem like it's going to come back for a while to me, but on the flip side, like if you're selling for zoom, <laughs> right. It's probably been a pretty good ride mm -hmm. for the last few months and I don't know when it's going to slow down. So I think, you know, maybe pay attention to the industry that you're trying to sell into and the products. Um, because I, I think you can, you can find, 
an area that is setting you up for success right now, if you have the time to be diligent and careful with it. What do you think, Richard? I agree, and I don't know if you can hear construction behind me, so tell me if you can. Um, to Scott's point, I think you have to look at it. Look, if you're a single individual and you don't have a mortgage and family and kids, it's a different decision-making process, right? Um, I do think, and I've, I, you know, if you do and you're out of a role, I think that, you know, in some cases you may have to take a role that's, you know, a step to the side or a step back because you do need the paycheck. Um, I'm a big advocate for making sure you have your health care covered, mm -hmm. even if it means it's not a job you like um, or want. But I also think, too, is that there's value there because you can say, look, it's a crisis mode. I had to do this for my family. And six months or a year later, I'm ready to move on because the economy's ready to move on. Like mm -hmm. I had to make a tough decision that I didn't like. And I think that sends the right message to the next person. So in some right. cases in this role at right, right now in the COVID world, it's not about the job you get now. It's about the one you want to have next. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, it's almost like, and it also gives you a chance to redefine yourself just a tad. Mm -hmm. Right. If you were in the travel industry in sales, um, all right. Well, the skills are transferable. Make sure you understand how to talk about that. Right. Well, maybe it's time to get into something else. Right. And in a different vertical or, or thing. So so it's tough. I don't want anybody to make the initiative to quit and not look for a job. But I do know people are hiring. Right? Mm -hmm. I do know I do see sales roles out there. And, you know, my advice is not to let people's egos get in the way if you are in a situation where you do just Hey, let me just break even this month. Let me make sure I got my bills paid. Kids are in school. They're back in school. Mm -hmm. It's a totally crazy world right now. Like take care of yourself, I think, mm -hmm. is a little bit more important depending on the situation. Awesome. Solid, solid advice. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, Tiffany. We really, really appreciate it. And thanks for sharing all your insights on this stuff. Um, as always, a shout out to Lead411 and Gong.io for supporting us for the month of September. Um, and we look forward to seeing everybody again next time. Thank you all so much. It was great speaking with y'all. Thanks, Tiffany. Thanks, great. Tiffany.